Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Sustainable Brown Girl podcast. This show exists to provide representation for women of color within the sustainability movement and to educate the masses on how to be more eco-friendly every day. I'm your host, Ariel Green. This episode is sponsored by Anna Luisa Jewelry and Greenhouse Mercantile. More about our sponsors later. Now, if you are watching the video podcast on YouTube, you will see that it is pretty different from what it has been in the past, which is pretty much, I didn't have this setup. So this was my Christmas gift from my husband. And so, you know, it's a new year and it's a great time to try new things. And so I just kind of wanted to play around with actually coming on camera for these solo episodes to share more with you guys and, you know, kind of have more of a connection. However, I do have some notes right here in front of me. So if you see me looking down at it, then that's what I'm looking at because, you know, your girl needs her notes sometimes. <laughs> anyway, like I said, it's a new year and I am so excited to continue sharing tips with you guys on how to be sustainable, as well as continue sharing new interviews with our fellow sustainable brown girls who are making moves within the sustainability industry. I thought a good way to kick off the new year is with a little bit of education. <laughs> on this podcast, me and my guests often use terms that we don't properly define throughout the episode. So we're always assuming that people, you know, kind of understand the lingo. And I know that's not always the case. So today I'm going to do my best to easily explain some of the more common words that you'll hear on this podcast and throughout the sustainability industry. So get your notebooks and your pencils and go get a snack because it is time to go to school. <laughs> First, I wanna start off with a big one, which is climate change. So according to NASA, climate change is a change in the usual weather found in a place. This could be a change in how much rain a place usually gets in a year, or it could be a change in a place's usual temperatures for a month or for a season. We're not gonna get into the debate of if climate change is real. If you're listening to this show, then I'm sure you think that climate change is real. But, you know, sometimes it's uh, when, when you hear about climate change, you may not always know what the proper definition is. So basically, climate change is a change in Earth's climate. So this could be a change in Earth's usual temperature, or it could be a change in where rain and snow usually fall on Earth. Weather can change in just a few hours, right? But climate takes takes millions or hundreds of years to change. I guess when there's a debate about if climate change is real, sometimes people say that the climate changes naturally over time. And you know, while that's the case, um, and shifts in climate can be natural through variations in the solar cycle, it has been confirmed by scientists that since the 1800s, human activities have been the main driver of the most recent climate change that's been happening over the past 200 years. I'm sure that we can 
all agree that the climate is indeed changing. There are more severe and unusual weather events, like those series of tornadoes that ripped through the Midwest early in December. Um, or even this year, I heard that temperatures were colder in San Diego than they were in Alaska. That's definitely unusual. Next, you may be wondering what causes climate change. So that brings us to our next vocabulary word, which is greenhouse gases. Greenhouse gases are the result of the burning of fossil fuels. The main harmful fossil fuels are oil, coal, and gas. And as stated by the UN, burning fossil fuels generates greenhouse gas emissions that act like a blanket wrapped around the earth, trapping the sun's heat and raising temperatures. As much as I love to be wrapped up in my Snuggie, I definitely don't want to be there long enough to where I'm like suffocating in the heat. <laughs> so as cozy as it sounds to have a blanket wrapped around earth, it's definitely not a good thing. So some examples of greenhouse gas emissions that are causing climate change include carbon dioxide and methane. These come from gasoline for driving cars or coal for heating a building. Also, clearing land and forests can also release carbon dioxide. And then of course, cutting down trees also eliminates those tools in, you know, that do typically clean carbon dioxide. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Um, the best way to avoid greenhouse gases is to switch to renewable energy. That's our next word. Renewable energy is the electricity derived from renewable power sources, such as solar panels, windmills, and turbines, as well as hydropower dams and plants. And while renewable energy does still cause emissions, it's not nearly as high as those caused by the production of non-renewables. So I was recently driving from Atlanta to Orlando and I saw this huge solar farm off of Interstate 75 near Perry, Georgia. I did a little Google search and the site is called Silicon Ranch and it's five acres and features 225,000 solar panels. And basically this is going to provide power to, I think about 11,000 11, households. So that's super exciting to see in you know, my home state of Georgia. So it's great to see that we are making strides to you know, get some more renewable resources and ways to provide electricity to people without using carbon. So putting solar panels on your home is a great way to reduce your carbon footprint. A carbon footprint is the total emissions of carbon dioxide that an individual or company puts out and is responsible for. Your carbon footprint is not only the carbon put out by heating your home or driving to work, it's also the carbon that you cause by purchasing certain foods and products. So a way to cut back on your carbon footprint is going to be with getting an electric car or you know putting solar panels on your house or even reducing how much meat you eat. 
and also choosing to buy from companies that are actively making strides to reduce their carbon footprint is another way that you can you know reduce yours as well and if you're interested in calculating your carbon footprint there are a bunch of calculators out there but i recently used the calculator by nature.org to find out my household's carbon footprint the result came up to about 26 tons of carbon dioxide per year which that's you know difficult to measure for a normal person like me but apparently it's 38 percent better than that of other households so your girl is doing something there <laughs> so when i was in the market for a new washer and dryer last year i did a lot of research to try to find the most energy efficient machines the word energy efficient often refers to an item or a task that uses less energy which also leads to a reduced carbon footprint energy efficient appliances like solar panels and refrigerators and washing machines are typically more expensive but they do have a return on investment that cuts down on your energy bills over time now the goal of many people as well as some uh, companies is to be carbon neutral or reach net zero emissions when a company achieves net zero certification, that means that they've essentially removed their carbon footprint. Oftentimes, this is achieved by buying carbon offsets. Carbon offsets are basically monetary donations to environmental projects that will lower emissions. Carbon offsets aren't just for companies though. I've heard of people who have you know had to purchase a flight to somewhere and you know air travel is a big producer of carbon emissions so some people will buy carbon offsets in order to kind of balance out the air travel that they're about to do and i've also seen when i'm like buying something online from an eco-friendly company they've given me the option to purchase carbon offsets to help offset the carbon that shipping my product to me is going to produce so usually you know it's like one or two dollars but it's um you know it's it's a nice little don donation to go towards you know some companies who are actually doing the work to you know eliminate carbon from the environment so before we continue with our lesson let's take a quick break for today's sponsors there is the cutest black woman owned shop in my local downtown area called Greenhouse Mercantile. Not only does the store feature products from local artists, black owned businesses, and fair trade products, but she also offers sustainable products and zero waste products like wool dryer balls and produce bags. I thought that I would never be able to find these items locally, but you can also order them online from her shop. And Kenya is multi-talented, so you can also get her help with creating a capsule wardrobe or redecorating your home. So be sure to stop by greenhousemercantile.com to learn more about her services. When it comes to jewelry, for me, simple is best. 
That's why I'm a big fan of Ana Luisa jewelry. Their pieces start at just $39, and if you use my code, you will get 10% off of regular price items and 60% off of last chance items. So in the description box, you'll find my link, which is shop.analuisa.com slash Ariel. Not only are their pieces ethically and sustainably produced, Ana Luisa is also 100% carbon and water neutral. From the perfect gold hoops, like what I'm wearing, to personalized jewelry and gemstones to pearls, Ana Luisa has something that will fit any style. So check out Ana Luisa's 10% off sale. And for 60% off your last chance items, use my link in the description or at shop.analuisa.com slash Ariel. Now let's get back to today's lesson. So I kind of want to switch focus and talk more about ways in which we can be more eco-friendly as individuals. And one of my favorite terms or ideas is a circular economy. A circular economy is a system dedicated to eliminating waste by reusing, sharing, repairing, and recycling resources. Our traditional economy has been built on a linear economy. So that basically means that products are made, bought, and then disposed of. But in a circular economy, it's more, you know, things can be recycled or reused or, you know, the it's, it's also known as a closed loop economy or, you know, closed loop system. In addition to companies changing the way they create products by keeping reusability in mind, it's also important to have a shift in the habits of us as consumers. Instead of always getting the latest electronics or the newest and best of everything, more focus needs to be put on the functional value of our products and the materials used to create them. We need to learn to repair our wardrobes instead of buying new clothes and find ways to eliminate food waste and you know, choose more sustainable methods of travel. And then of course, avoiding the use of single waste items. So single use items is what I meant to say. Single use items refers to items or products that are only used one time. They are very wasteful, which is why I said single waste items. <laughs> Some of the biggest offenders are beverage bottles, coffee cups, your plastic utensils, straws, grocery bags, and a more recent example, disposable face masks. So single-use items are a big problem, not only because they add unnecessary waste to landfills, but oftentimes they end up as litter along our roads and in our oceans. When these items break down, they become what's known as microplastics. According to National Geographic, most microplastics are tiny particles designed for commercial use, such as cosmetics like the scrubby beads and face wash, or um, microfibers that are shed from clothing, and also fishing nets. Other microplastics 
are come from the result of the breakdown of larger plastic items such as water bottles. So microplastics have been detected in marine organisms such as plankton and whales, and then also in commercial seafood like salmon and shrimp. And it's even been found in drinking water. And unfortunately, standard water treatment facilities can't remove all traces of microplastics. And it's been estimated that we each eat about a credit card size worth of microplastics every single week. That cannot be good. So the best way to prevent microplastics from even entering our land, food, and waterways is going to be by reducing the amount of single-use plastics that we use. Some people find that adopting a zero-waste lifestyle has been helpful for them. Basically, zero-waste means that something or someone produces a minimal amount of waste that might otherwise end up in a landfill. You may have seen some people uh, boasting their mason jar full of trash that you know they gathered over a year or so and it was just able to fit into a mason jar. <laughs> so that's definitely not attainable for everyone. And some people say that it's impossible to attain at all, but just taking into um, consideration, reducing your waste, whether it be zero waste or low waste, trying to eliminate the amount of waste that you are creating is definitely going to be better for the planet. So our next word is going to be composting. Composting is the controlled decomposition of organic materials. When I talk about composting, I'm usually referencing the community garden where I take my food scraps to be, you know, composted there to be produced into soil that we can use throughout the garden. In addition to fruits and vegetable scraps, coffee grounds and eggshells, leaves and grass clippings, hair and cardboard can also be composted. Now, like I said, I do compost at the local community garden, but composting at home is also pretty easy. I did an episode with Ariel Maldonado of Go Green, Save Green on Instagram and she talked a lot about how she composts at home. So I would recommend listening to episode 14 of the podcast if you wanna learn more about that. Um, so composting doesn't only apply to organic matter. Many companies are now offering products that were traditionally made of plastic, such as cutlery and phone cases, and they're making them into compostable materials. So oftentimes with these compostable products, they are not always back, backyard compostable and we need to be sent to a special facility to be degraded properly. So while we're on the subject, let's also talk about what biodegradable means. I often get compostable and biodegradable mixed up because sometimes they're used interchangeably and that's, they don't really mean the same thing. So biodegradable refers to any material that can be broken down and turned into non-toxic um, matter without any human intervention. So say you put an apple on your porch, 
it's going to biodegrade within a certain amount of time. However, if you put the apple in your compost pile, it's also going to biodegrade, but there's certain conditions that your compost pile needs to reach in order for the um, apple to be turned into compost. Unlike biodegradation, which is an entirely natural process, composting requires human intervention. When a product says that it's biodegradable, it should be able to naturally break down into organic material over time. It could take days, weeks, months, or years, but it will eventually biodegrade. Now, on the other hand, if it says that it's compostable, then it will either need to be put into an at-home composting bin or taken to a commercial facility to be composted. Now, when companies claim that their products are biodegradable or compostable, it's important to determine that they are not greenwashing. Greenwashing refers to the language and packaging design that many brands use to make their products appear more green or eco-friendly. It can be as simple as changing the color of the packaging to like green or natural colors, or sometimes people will even use buzzwords like sustainable or earth-friendly, we'll say. Greenwashing can also apply to companies who aren't clearly dis disclosing if a product is biodegradable and how long it will take for it to biodegrade. Or if they say that it's compostable, they may not specify if it's backyard compostable or needs to be taken to a commercial facility. We are in an age now where being environmentally conscious is gaining traction and consumers are holding companies responsible for their actions. I mean, this is great and everything, and I think it's fueling a lot of change, but it's also causing some companies to use these buzzwords without actually you know, being honest about, about what they mean for their product. For example, I was in the grocery store recently buying trash bags and I noticed that Glad has a new line. The thing that really bothered me about Glad's new sustainable line, air quotes, is that they also had some recycling trash bags. And on the picture of the box was a, was a clear plastic bag and inside of it was like, bottles and aluminum cans. It's indicating that you can put your recyclables inside of this trash bag and then, you know, send it off to your local recycling facility. But in actuality, you know, we should know that thin plastics like trash bags and grocery bags can't be recycled with other hard plastics like bottles. So if someone was to, you know, put their recyclables in this bag, you know, not knowing any better, those items that they put in there may not actually get recycled and could do a lot of damage to the machines at the recycling facility. So I, you know, wasn't a big fan of how Glad was advertising their product because it, you know, I felt like it was misleading and, you know, could lead to, lead to more harm than good. It's better to just leave your recyclables out of any bag and you know sort them appropriately. 
So I guess while we're on the topic of recycling, I think um, another good thing to talk about is the term wish cycling, which can also cause a lot of harm to our recycling stream. So I'm sure we've all done it before where we've thrown something in the recycling bin and we're not quite sure if it can be recycled. So that's called wish cycling. Some common wish cycling offenders are plastic bags and other thin plastics, pizza boxes with food on it, or pretty much any other container with food on it that's not clean. Every recyclable that you send to, re to the recycling should be empty and clean. Just a future note. I mean, it is true that most items or a lot of items have the ability to be recycled in some way. Not everything can be recycled at our local facilities. So it's important to do research, you know, do a quick Google search before you toss something in the recycling bin to make sure that your local facility is able to actually recycle that item. So before you throw a light bulb or a broken, or broken mirror in with your glass recycling, I've actually seen that at my you know, local recycling place. Just think twice. When in doubt, throw it out. So if you are still listening at this point, then you deserve an A for sticking with this episode. I know it's been a lot of information, but I really hope that you've learned a thing or two or three. Now I wanna focus more on terms that apply to our lifestyle habits. First, when it comes to clothing, fast fashion is definitely a buzzword. According to earth.org, the term fast fashion refers to a large sector of the fashion industry whose business model relies on cheap and speedy production of low quality clothing, which gets pumped quickly through stores in order to meet the latest and newest trends. The biggest offenders are brands like Forever 21, Zara, H&M, uh, and then especially online retailers like Fashion Nova and misguided Pretty Little Thing, Shein. The fast fashion model drives consumers to continuously purchase cheap clothing and then discard them quickly because of its poor quality. And this is causing a huge environmental impact. So instead of buying from fast fashion brands, it's better to shop secondhand at thrift stores or Plato's Closet or online secondhand shops like ThreadUp and Poshmark. And if your budget allows, you should also look, to, look into investing into quality pieces that are gonna last a long time. Or you can even purchase from smaller, more ethical brands. So another problem with fast fashion is the social impact. Oftentimes, workers creating these cheap products are paid poorly and work in unsafe conditions. So by investing in products that are labeled fair trade, um, you know that workers are given a wage that can support their livelihoods and products are often produced in a way that's more environmentally friendly. You can typically find products that are fair trade to be marked with the official logo. In terms of lifestyle and purchasing choices, there's also the option to practice minimalism. Minimalism is basically owning fewer possessions and living with less. 
in a culture where it's expected to have the latest electronics or to wear a new outfit to every event or to fill each corner of your home with a piece of furniture, minimalism allows you to break free from those habits. Not only does a minimalist lifestyle lead to less waste, it can also save you a lot of money. All right, you guys, we are just about finished with this episode, but the last term that I want to define is the term BIPOC. That's spelled B-I-P-O-C. And this acronym is short for Black Indigenous People of Color. Up until 2020, most non-whites were referred to as people of color and the term BIPOC just kind of builds upon that foundation while also acknowledging that all people of color don't have the same experience or deal with the same type of injustices. So let's, you know, break down a little bit further what each letter means. So black B is referring to people who are usually of African or Caribbean descent. In history, the classification of people based on their skin color has existed for centuries. And of course, you know, all black people are different ranges of skin tones like any other race. Indigenous often refers to people who lived in North and South America before European colonization. But indigenous can also refer to any groups that practice unique traditions, retain social, cultural, economic, and political characteristics that are distinct from other people who live in the society and, you know, follow different set of societal norms. People of color is a more general term that refers to non-white individuals who often face discrimination. So that's going to be Asians and Middle Eastern, Indian, Pacific Island heritage, and then of course, Latin or Hispanic people. Although these groups are usually included under the umbrella of the collective people of color, it's important to remember that all of these people of color have their own cultural history and are often affected by prejudice and discrimination in different ways. That leads me to, you know, just a, I guess, reminder that I created this platform, Sustainable Brown Girl, to be able to amplify the voices of women of color who are within the sustainability movement. So often, like with, you know, any other industry probably, people of color and their voices get uh, drowned out by, you know, our non-people of color counterparts. So I think it's important to provide a space that will provide representation and, you know, just a sense of community within, you know, within our people of color, sustainable brown girls. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening and happy new year. And if you want to keep the conversation going, then please follow me on Sustainable Brown Girl on Instagram and Facebook. You can check out the website at sustainablebrowngirl.com and you can send me any questions, comments, or content ideas to sustainablebrowngirl at gmail.com. 
Uh, you can catch up on the full episodes of the podcast on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and of course, YouTube. So special thanks once again to Greenhouse Mercantile and Anna Louise Jewelry. Visit greenhousemercantile.com to shop or schedule a virtual appointment with Kenya. And be sure to check out Ana Luisa's 10% off sale and 60% off of the last chance items using my link in the description or at shop.analuisa.com slash Ariel. Until next week, let's continue making better choices for the health of our planet and the health of our bodies. Thanks for listening.